It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports commerce editor with Rick Roaring. It's brought to you in part by Blake, the attorney Maislin. And Rick, uh, we got a lot to get to as always. Um, the Reds are on fire at the moment and uh, they are creeping ever so close to first place. I said it last week in a, in a column. And it's, it, it takes the Bengals catchphrase. Why not us? In this division, you're not wrong. I mean, seriously, it's right for the picking. That's for sure. And since we last spoke on Wednesday last week, I believe. Wednesday. Wednesday. The Reds you, lost. You were, hey, listen, listen, man, you were on vacation that's so right. I can get the days run together. <laughs> that's right. The Reds lost two in a row, and then they won their last four, including Monday night's ridiculous five to four extra innings win over the Royals where Ricky Karcher <laughs> made his major league debut Great. to nail down the save in the 10th. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And they also won a one run game on Tuesday night. They're now 33 and 35, third in the NL Central and three games back of the first place Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, so, Scandy, let's just start here. Should the Reds trade Alexis Diaz or just move him to the setup role now that they found their closer in Ricky Karcher? <laughs> yeah, I don't think they found their closer in Ricky Karcher. I think they found an interesting story for one night with maybe a future down the road, but no, 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 no. What, what was your favorite part of that game? I mean, because that was a silly game in general, but he was just the cherry on top. My favorite part of the game was his post-game interview, for goodness yes. sakes, where he had no idea that he's not allowed to curse on live TV. I mean, seriously. Did he even know he was on more live TV? What's that? Did he even know he was on live TV? I would hope so. And that's a great question, too. Maybe he didn't or maybe he doesn't understand the FCC rules. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that was that literally was one of the most bizarre things. If this had been, I don't know, there was a guy that came up in the in the early 80s. Might have even came up in the in the hundred loss uh, 1982 season. Maybe the I can't remember what they all blend together. A guy named Brad the Animal Leslie. And uh, he was a hard-throwing closer. They didn't really consider guys closers back then uh, for the most part. Uh, but he was kind of the closer, and he threw hard. And he had this crazy attitude. He'd yell. He'd, you know, as soon as he'd strike somebody out, he'd, like, yell out loud and pump his chest. And he was a nut job. But it made it interesting. And Ricky Karcher's the guy in a year that you would think this was a lost year that kind of made it interesting. But he actually kind of got them what might have been a big win, right? Effectively wild, Skinny. Yes, effectively, effectively wild. I mean, wild. It- First of all, Kirk Casale's comment to him after the game of like, we're going to have to work on your fastball was just incredible. Yeah. No, the only thing he threw for strike was a breaking ball. And he throws the ball. He, 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 it really was. It was Ricky Vaughn. It really is completely Ricky Vaughn. This team is like major league. It really is. It, it's starting to feel that way. But the thing is, and, and like, I, I get so annoyed with the, oh, this team's fun. They're playing really hard. They're really hustling around the bases. They're just scrapping together wins. Like we do that every time a team stinks, but they're playing good for a week or two, or they have like a young guy playing well. So I don't like that thing of it's just, it's always a narrative in baseball with bad teams, but this team is different because there's so much talent on the field to go with the sort of, um, I guess it's just, they don't know they're not supposed to be good attitude. Like they, these guys kind of have this, camaraderie and confidence and them hanging out on the dugout all together to watch Ricky Karcher's interview because they knew it was going to be hilarious. I don't know if any of that stuff matters, but it does make them more fun to watch. I think makes them likable. There's no question. Yes. Likable yeah, is makes, a great way to put it. Makes them very likable. And um, you know, I, I I've made fun of the Viking helmet. I still think it's hokey and stupid and goofy. But the uh, row in the boat thing is so bad. It, it's horrible, but listen, it ain't up to me. I, I don't, I, 
listen, because I don't like it doesn't mean it's 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 not what they like and enjoy and and, and maybe brings them together, whatever. Um, you know, and if if you're winning, it it certainly helps. Like I said, if this team was uh, early in the year, if they were 20 games under 500 doing that stuff, it would be absolute nonsensical silliness. Uh, but they're not. They're winning. And if that contributes in some small way, shape or form for them, good for them. They 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 found something. So uh, this team is fun to watch. I mean, it really is. Uh, and part of it is, oh, Rick, it is because of the way they run the bases and do some things. It's it's a different breed of baseball instead of the three outcome thing. It, the, the Sunday game that Ellie De La Cruz literally stole the win. I, I haven't seen that in a long time in baseball. I really haven't. Um, gets on walks, steals seconds, goes to third on a very short pass ball, a very short pass ball on a contact play grounded to short, which was literally the most routine play that that shortstop could make. He stole the run. He had it in the back of that guy's mind. I got to get rid of it quickly. And if I don't get rid of it quickly, he's going to beat me. It's going to be embarrassing because it's because it's an easy play. And he drags his arm across his body because he has to hurry. And Ellie slides to the other side of the plate and scores. That's fun. It is. It really is. I mean, but again, that requires a certain level of talent. Sure, right? like no you got to have a guy like an Ellie Dickless yes, Cruz no to make plays like this and to run the bases effectively, be able to actually steal and put pressure on the other team. I, mean, I want to talk more about Ellie here in a second, but just sure. to wrap up the other night, Ricky Karcher, I was going to say, Skinny, it looked, listening to him and hearing him talk, like they had just plucked him out of, I don't somewhere in West Virginia or something yeah. in the backwoods. I did look it up. He's from Saline, Michigan, which I don't know a lot about. It's not too far away from Ann Arbor, but I have to assume with only about 9,000 people in their population, it's pretty backwoods. Uh, I would guess that too. I mean, I'm, you sure it's not the Michigan Penal League kind of like Rick Vaughn? I mean, can we take this story all the way out? That the guy from nowhere, from Saline, Michigan, the, the see, was there a, is there a, like a minimum security prison close by there, or maybe in Saline by chance? I would assume any town of nine thousand people has a big state prison there, right? It has to. It has to. I was talking to our friend Charlie Goldsmith, and and uh, we were talking about Ricky Carter at Bengals practice on Tuesday at minicamp. He said he is the guy that he literally he like wears he wore fur coats to spring training practice like he would you know go coming in the clubhouse he'd be he'd be draped in a fur coat he's just apparently just a different cat you could tell he's one of those guys yes. because the way the entire team stood at the rail of the dugout to watch his post game interview they're like oh we got to see this this is going to be must see television without us fans even knowing who the hell Ricky Karcher is other than he can't throw a fastball first. I mean, seriously, he threw what, like six strikes in that entire appearance. And yeah. all of them were like absolute must haves needs to be over the plate or we lose the game pitches. No, that was the, that was the funny part about it. Literally, you know, teams, teams can get a trend on a guy quickly. Like, Hey, can't get the fastball over, sit on the slider. And that was the only thing you could throw for a strike. Yeah. Just absolutely an incredible moment by Ricky Karcher. He did get sent back down to AAA. Uh, it's all just roster moves, moving guys yes, around yeah. to be uh, back need, at some yeah, point. Needing, but, needing, an ex, yeah, needing an extra arm, a, a live arm, for lack of a better term. Yes. Yeah. I sent out a tweet joking about that, saying, you know, what else, what more could he have done? Maybe it's the <laughs> league that wasn't ready for him. And there were people getting like actually mad at the Reds for t- sending him down. It's like, guys, relax. <laughs> He'll he'll be back and this let's was a plan. He, he needs to refine himself just a little bit too. Let's 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 go there as well. Yeah, maybe go take a cold shower and a nap, and we'll talk <laughs> to you in a week, Ricky. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, Ellie De La Cruz skin. He's played in eight games now. He's slashing 267, 389, 467 with a homer, a triple, four RBIs, and four stolen bases. If there is one nit to pick with the way he's played, though, skinny, it's been his strikeouts. It's, yep. Starting to get talked about more and more here. He's struck out in 39% of his at-bats so far. 
the league average is 22%. Now, obviously, that's a very small sample size, so it's unfair to say that you know he's going to strike out 40% of his at-bats for an entire season or anything like that, but it is a bit concerning that it seems like if he's not drilling the ball somewhere or even running out at an infield single, I mean, he's getting on base a lot still, but if he's not doing that, then it seems like he's striking out almost every time. How concerned are you about Ellie's strikeouts. It's always concerning, but the thing that I I, I like, and, and maybe this is the flip side of this, right? One of the things they wanted him to do in Louisville was be more patient and don't chase. And he, he stopped doing that at Louisville. He started taking more walks. And I can go back to the, I think the first time he struck out up here um, in that, in that, in the debut was a three, two um, breaking ball that nipped the lower outside corner of the plate that he couldn't have handled anyway. Um, He'd have to be Tony Gwynn um, and flip it the other way and be good enough to flip it the other way. And very few hitters are Tony Gwynn. Um, so when he took that cold third strike, I went, huh, you know what? Good for you. You didn't chase. It was a perfect pitch. Smart on you. I, I, I honestly think this is going to sound strange. I honestly think he's being less aggressive at the plate than he should because he's trying not to chase. And, and maybe yep. that's a good thing because now you can go and say, listen, man, if you think it's hittable, swing at it. Um, we appreciate what you're trying to do. You're trying to be disciplined. You're trying not to chase. You're trying to, to wait for a perfect pitch, um, get a little more aggressive. And, and I think that's probably counterproductive to what they wanted him to do in Louisville. But I, you know, I'll use last night as an example. I, I don't know how close you watched the game, Rick. I didn't watch every I watched game. most of it. Yeah. Uh, I watched, but I watched, uh, a, I watched his at bat where he took a cold third strike on the yep. inner half. He didn't like the call. I thought it was a strike for sure. It was a fastball and he took it on a three, two count and it was almost like he he's trying to find the pitch that he can handle. And if he can, he's letting it go. Well, we can't do that on three, two, man. So maybe it's literally the opposite way of be more aggressive. If you think you can hit it and, and maybe it's out of the zone, that's what you do there. Uh, I'll use a guy from a long time ago, Roberto Clemente, who uh, had 3000 career hits. He was a notorious bad ball hitter. Um, arguably from a day, today's perspective, people wouldn't like him that much because he didn't walk as much as he should have because he swung at pitches outside of the zone, but he was good enough to hit them. And I think that's probably Ellie's MO. That doesn't mean just wave at everything. I think maybe there's a fine line. And I think that's where he's at of dude. If you, if you think you can hit it, go ahead and take a whack at it. I, if I'm not mistaken, he had two strikeouts in last night's game. And I'm not mistaken. Both of them might've been looking. Uh, I didn't see the other one. If that was the case, I, I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not doubting you, but yeah, I'm pretty I, sure. But it, it, that's neither here nor there. Really? You know, you know the at bat I'm talking about though, yes. right? I know the one you're talking about for sure. I'm pretty sure yeah. the other at bat he struck out was a, a called third strike looking as well. But I think the point there is that I'm not seeing the same issues with Ellie strikeouts that I typically see with the young guy who can't handle major league pitching. Correct. Correct. It's not the breaking ball in the dirt that he's just not seen at all. And they're like, all right, anytime you get this guy down on the count, just corkscrew him into the ground and he'll swing out of his shoes at some terrible pitch. That's not what's happening here. And also to the point about him not liking that call on the inside half, that one may have been a strike, but there have been, it seems like almost every game that he plays in, he gets an insanely bad called strike in one of his at-bats, if not multiple at-bats. So like, I do think there is something going on here where he's trying to be disciplined, trying to, you know, be taking more pitches and he's, he's having a hard time figuring out what the zone is his zone because he's and getting a, a lot of weird too. calls. Yeah. I think that's a good, I think, I, I think that's the learning process here. Right. And, and listen, um, we want this to be the fantasy story of fantasy stories where the dude comes up, hits three fifty, has an 1100 OPS, 
uh, steals 60 bases the rest of the year. That's just not the reality of it. There, there is going to be an adjustment period for, for him too. And I, I think he's in that just a little bit. It probably wouldn't hurt um, today. We're doing this on Wednesday morning to kind of give him a day off at this point and go, Hey, just relax. Everything's going well. You're doing great. You, you've, you've won us probably by yourself already two, two games, maybe even yep. three games that you've won. Um, and, and so now it's time to just take a day off and, and, and decompress and, you know, because if, if it if it starts to mount, then he's going to start to press, and then things can can snowball, and nobody wants that. But we've seen the skill set already, and it's just stupendous. Yeah, I think the big thing is he's hitting the ball hard when he hits it. Still, I mean, ripping the ball when he hits it for the most part, and he's taking pitches. He's not just wildly swinging away and and getting these strikeouts. And also, it's not like he's just a, a complete free swinger up there who looks like he has no clue what he's doing when he's striking out uh, for the most part, his on-base percentage is good. I think everything will follow in terms of the strikeouts. Now he might always be a little bit on the high side for strikeouts, yeah. but if you're getting on base at, you know, a, a 400 clip, that's fine. Yeah, exactly. No, that, that, that that's correct. And um, yeah, it, 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 it it's weird. I, I, I know Sunday going into Sunday's game. Um, I think he had 19. No, he had 20 plate appearances, I believe. He had struck out 10 times or 20 at bats. He had struck out 10 times, but in the other 10 at bats, he had seven hits. So it's showing you that when he's putting bat on ball, it's either going to be a hit or a hard hit ball somewhere. So uh, I think that's the positive part too. Yeah. It's so weird. I saw, I think C Trent said something about this where they used to talk about Billy runs where Billy Hamilton would, you know, get on base and just create something out of nothing with his speed because he put yep. pressure on you. It's like, it's so weird to see a guy doing that same thing. The Billy Hamilton, the Deion Sanders thing, but He's also the most scary hitter in your lineup in terms of hitting the ball 500 feet out of the ballpark. That's like a weird combination to have yes. in your lineup. Yeah. All right. The, the one last question on Ellie Skinny. Would you be interested in seeing him in the home run derby? That's something no. that's starting to get some news. No, 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 no. I I am a big believer that the home run derby screws you up. I really am. I'm, I'm a huge believer in that. And, and especially for especially a, for a like young guy. Yeah, I, I no, I, I it would be fun. Don't, don't get me wrong. It would be spectacularly fun to watch to see how far he can hit one. But no, I. I listen, I hate the home run derby other than the time it was here in Cincinnati and Todd Frazier did it and the electricity of being in that ballpark that night uh, was just one of the highlights of me covering anything that I've ever covered. But other than that, I loathe the home run derby. I think it's a waste of monumental waste of time. I don't watch it. uh, And I think it screws guys up. I do. I I don't disagree with the latter part, especially with the young guy and especially with the guy that let's face it. He's such a hot name right now. He's going to be such a big attraction if he continues to play well and, and has a few more like 500 foot homers, like he did in his first one with the reds that this could be an emotionally draining thing for him. If he goes there and puts on a show and, and does all that, like you just don't need that right now, especially with a team that, you know, I don't have a lot of faith that they're going to win this division, but it's, it's, Still up for grabs, very much so. I mean, they are in the thick of it, and they're getting better. You don't want to do anything to screw that up right now. Correct, correct. You wrote something on Local 12 about the Reds this week titled, How Votto's Absence This Season Has Inadvertently Helped Spur Reds Rebuild. And as you'd expect from that title, you detailed how the Reds have been able to learn some things about important players in Votto's absence. He's been on a rehab stint since June 3rd. In that time, he's 3-for-22 with a homer and six strikeouts. Skinny, what do you do with Joey Votto next week? Yeah, and I think it was worse than that. I, I didn't see his final numbers from last night, but when they flashed it up, what the guys were doing in re, uh, on their rehab stints, I think Nick Senzel hit a homer. Will Myers might have even homered twice. Joey last night in the thing I saw, and it might have been a final for him. He was over three with a couple of walks, so you can add that to the, to yeah, the three total. for twenty-five. Yeah, yeah. Um, so 
you know, I give the benefit of the doubt on that first rehab assignment that ended in disaster, that it was maybe too soon and he thought he could push it and, um, you know, was hoping to be ready actually by opening day. But now we've mounted another bad stint down there. And I just, I, I hate to do it. I mean, you just have to wonder if it's just, it's just time. And, you know, listen, I, I'd like to see the whole rehab assignment play itself out, but that rehab assignment isn't ad infinitum. It comes to a halt sooner rather than later. And then you have to make a decision on him again. Do you extend the DL stint and then do you give him another rehab assignment? I, I just, it's, I just, it doesn't seem like it's going to work out. And part of the piece was, you know, maybe this ends in a fairy tale way where he comes back and is part of a, a, a playoff push and contributes to that. But I just, the more this goes on, the more I doubt that. Um, he just, he just, the numbers don't lie at some point. Assuming, let's say next week they decide, all right, it's time. We're going to just see, we're going to bring him back to the major league team and just see what happens. See if he can give us anything. What do you do? Do you just stick him in the D8 spot? I don't know because listen, you got to make a decision on Will Myers. You got to make a decision on Senzel. Jake Fraley's going to come off the IL. I mean, th- those are three guys that maybe not Will Myers, but you're paying him. So you're going to have to figure that out and hope to flip him. I don't even know where Joey Votto fits at this point, Rick at all. Right. I mean, he makes you worse and more than likely bringing him yes. back right now. I don't, I mean, you can't put him at first base. I don't no, think. No, right. No. Uh, I get. I mean, the DH spot has not been good. You look what the Reds have gotten out yeah, of it. It's, it's slashing terrible. 247, 338, 336 with three homers and 28 RBIs and 281 plate appearances on the season. So they're getting basically nothing out of that DH spot. Do you just slide Joey into the DH spot and say, hey, just focus on doing your thing, seeing pitches and getting on base again and, and give us anything you can? but he's not even doing that at Louisville. I know. I mean, it's really a, a dismal outlook here for, for what he can bring, but I mean, I hate to say it. I, I out of all the options I gave you with the, with the Will Myers Votto, I listen, Fraley needs to be on this club because of what he's done. Sinzel's done enough to certainly be a part of this club. I mean, your best option at DH first base is, is still, in my opinion, Christian Encarnacion strand. And we're not even talking about him at the moment. I get it, but, I just don't know where Joey fits, and it sucks because I'd I'd love to see this end in a fairy tale way. I really would. I think no question, every Reds fan would. But at some point, you have to make a tough decision, and I think we're getting closer and closer to the. Sorry, man, you're done. We're gonna eat it, and we're gonna eat the 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 buyout for next year, and that's that. I mean, it's just tough. It's tough to think of Joey Votto's career coming to an end like this in the middle of the year, especially in a year where it was like, hey. The Reds aren't going to be anything this year. This is a throwaway year. You know, kind of we'll get you through this year and see what happens, see if you can get going again. And now all of a sudden they find themselves in the thick of a race for the NL Central and you can't even get them on the field. In fact, you might have to just take them out to the pasture and shoot him. That's such a tough way for his career to end. Man. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, if if they were way out of it, I'd love to see him get a credit. I'd still like to see him get a curtain call if, if worse comes to worse. So if you bring him up and he gets a day and that's oh, that. Oh, you have to. That, yeah. that would be the worst, the worst case scenario, in my opinion. But listen, I mean, he's not part of the future by any stretch. And again, no. that was part of the premise of the piece of, you know, you, you kind of got a chance to see Tyler Stevenson not really be your first baseman. You got a chance to see uh, some other things. And, and it kind of opened the door for Spencer Steer to play first base. And that, that opened the door for Nixon Zell to stay in the lineup and, and show some things at third base, his natural position. And then when he went on the IL, it opened the door to bring up Ellie De La Cruz and look what we found there. So it, 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 it was helpful, but now that you're in the race, 
you have to do what's best to win games. And, and it's it, at the point of what he's doing, it certainly isn't Joey Votto. I hope it turns around, but it doesn't seem to be any indication that it's ever going to again. Yeah. If we're talking about, hey, it's time to bring up Christian Encarnacion Strand and give him a shot, even if it could be detrimental to the success this team has had recently because he's a young guy you don't know what to expect, but you got to bring him up just to see he's a part of the future. That's a different conversation than you got to get Joey Votto back. Oh, up right. It's like he's not part of the future. It doesn't really, you know, you don't want to screw yourself over in the now for a guy who isn't part of the future. Now, if it, right. if it is Christian Encarnacion Strand and he screws you up for a couple of weeks, Fine. You send him back down. Correct. You worry about that as it happens because he's a big part of what you're planning to do in the next couple of years. Joey Votto is not. And that just it makes it really tough to figure out how you fit him back in right now when you're very much in this race. And that's the thing. I mean, you know, back in, in April, some of it was, you know, he didn't feel completely right health health wise. And I get it. I, I don't know if I buy it, but I, I get it because remember, the initial timeline was. He's going to be ready for opening day. And sometimes timelines move. We know that with injuries, you know, guys, different things happen. So I'm not blaming anybody for, for that thought process or even speaking that, that he'd be ready for opening day. And then he wasn't an okay. So he's on the IL. He's going to go to Louisville for a couple of weeks, um, get himself right. And physically he wasn't right. And, and so the results show that. So you thought, all right, let's spend a little bit more time doing this. Well, now that two months have passed and we did this, we're doing this again, two months later, and he's still not right. Or is he not right? Or is it just that, you know what, he's done? Yeah, that's the problem. It's like, is, was the issue ever really the injury? Right. Now? You know, right. it just you start to wonder more and more if it's just he doesn't have it. Skinny, yeah, one it other sucks. with the Reds, uh, Royals reliever Aldis Chapman talked to the Enquirer about a potential return to the Reds <laughs> if he was to get traded this summer. He said, quote, I've played for 13, 14 years in the big leagues, and I don't know how many more years I'll play. It'd be awesome to play my last year or two with my first team. What do you think about the Reds potentially adding Aroldis Chapman to the mix? He is such a goof. No, thank you. I, no, no. I, I know that sounds stupid because he's still got a lightning bolt for an arm. Not quite what it used to be, but it's still a lightning bolt for an arm. But that dude is a turd. No, thank you. Yeah, I, I'm not sure Aroldis Chapman is the best presence to be around these young guys. Nope. We were just talking about what a great vibe this locker room has right now. And Jonathan India seems to be a great leader and a great presence to be around these guys. Yes. I don't think you want to add Aroldis Chapman to that mix. It's been questioned more than once whether or not he's really all in on baseball. And there is the, the thing with the Yankees where he kind of forced his way out of there and yeah. showing up to stuff and all that. Uh, he's been talented enough to succeed in spite of that. But I don't think he's the type of guy you want rubbing off on some of your other talented young players. Well, in truth, in, in truth be told, if you're Kansas City, because again, he still does have a lightning bolt for an arm. I mean, it, it's not quite what it used to be, but it's still special. Um, you're going to command something of quality in return, prospect wise. And the Reds are, are, in my opinion, not in that mode at the moment. They're that, they're, in the, they're in the mode of let's keep our prospects and see what we've got. Now, I'm not here to tell you at the trade deadline you don't go try to add a starting pitcher. Um, and I think that's got to be in the conversation and you may have to give up somebody for that, but I'm not doing it for a role as Chapman. No, thank you. Yeah. I, look, I see the value of having one of the most dominant back of the bullpens in baseball as you try to make this run down the stretch. And I love the idea of adding Eraldis Chapman from the perspective of making this team more fun to watch. They've got fun guys. Eraldis Chapman has been one of the most fun pitchers to watch during the last decade, I'd say with with the way he can close games out and throw in a hundred plus miles an hour. It's just, you cannot give up anything of value right now. If you're the reds for a couple months of Aroldis Chapman, that yeah. makes absolutely no sense. I mean, Agreed. and like you said, they, they are going to want something of value in exchange for him. So 
I, I just I don't think it makes any sense. I, I know some Reds fans were getting excited about it after hearing that the other night during the Royals game, but I just don't think that's a realistic option at all. Yeah, and again, just from just from a personality standpoint, he's a turd, and I don't want him in this clubhouse. I don't. I'm with you on that. All right, Ski, let's switch gears to the Bengals. Jonah Williams showed up for the start of mandatory minicamp Tuesday with a big smile. The offensive tackle who requested a trade earlier this offseason was nothing but positive while talking to the media. Quote, I'll be happy to be a contributor on a team where I have so many great teammates, Williams said. I love everyone in the room, love the coaches, love the fans. I'm stoked, among plenty of other positive things that he said about the Bengals. Skinny, are you buying Jonah Williams being happy to be back and learning the right tackle position? I am. Um, and I, I've said it all along. I, I I always thought he was showing up for this because it's mandatory. I've always thought he was going to buy into to the position switch because he's a professional. Um, but I will say, despite that positivity, he was very, very hurt that they didn't at least communicate to him the signing of Orlando Brown, um, tell him the, what they wanted to do with him. And I think he's right in that regard. I'm disappointed in the Bengals front office for not at least listen. They don't have to say, hey, Jonah, are you OK with this? But I think it's it, it behooved them to have called him and said, listen, we're signing Orlando Brown to make our football team better. We think it's best for our team that you move to right tackle. I know you're not going to like that, but hey, this is what's going to be best. We just wanted to let you know. And he even said that. He said, listen, I get it. I'm an employee. They don't have to run anything by me, but I do think they owed him a phone call to tell him that. And I think that's what led to all the things that went on of the demand for a trade. Um, Because he said, I don't know if I believe this part of it, but he said that, you know, the narrative of the switch from left to right wasn't what led to the demand of a trade. He said, listen, you know, um, there are 64 tackle spots in the NFL, meaning starting spots. And I I, I feel privileged to be one of those 64. And, uh, you know, whether it's left tackle or right tackle, I'm fine with it. And I truly believe some of that. But I believe mostly, and he was honest about it, he's very disappointed that they didn't communicate. And they still have it. Nobody from the front office, even when he's back, has done it. Now, Zach Taylor's talked to him. Frank Pollock's talked to him. But the front office, I think, owed him a phone call. Well, I can see that. But let me let me also push back on that a little bit. What was the first thing he did when he did find out? He and his agent. Well, I think they, they demanded the trade. Right. So, but, so, but, so but, he, just, but he made the point, though, Rick, sure, of it wasn't a position switch. I get the that. lack of communication. I get that. But what the first thing they did was get mad and demand a trade, right? Yes. So the Bengals were trying to pull off this Orlando Brown thing as in about as covert a fashion as I've ever seen an NFL free agency thing happen. No one knew anything about it. It randomly just popped up. And the story was that Orlando Brown and his agent had called the Bengals and made it happen. Right. I could see why in that mode where you're about to pull something off that you didn't expect and you're getting it done quietly. And it isn't out with Schefter or any of these other guys. No one's reporting on it yet. I could see why you'd want to just not go and tell a player and his agent who might immediately get pissed off and feed it to somebody. Well, that the only thing I'll say is that the initial report of Orlando Brown was two or three days before the signing of Orlando Brown, which that's how that always works. Um, and they didn't demand the trade until the day of the signing. So the, the news was already out there. And at that point, when the news was out there, that's when they, they owed the guy a phone call. They Fair. absolutely owed the guy a phone call. And the fact, I, that I still, that. and the fact that he's back in the building and they still haven't talked to him, come on. Yeah. I get that to some extent, but also you're Jonah Williams, man. Like, let's quit acting like we're talking about Andrew Whitworth here. You know, like you've barely had a spot on this team so far. Now, well, last I year, uh, no, it's not been barely. He was a first round draft pick for goodness right, sake. But, but a first round draft pick who last year we were talking about, is he good enough to be the left tackle going forward? And they decided, no, he's not. We've no, got to move that, him. And that part's fine. And I think he, I truly believe in talking with him yesterday. He understood that. 
Right. And he even said, listen, hey, the one thing he can show is I can show I'm versatile now. And, and he was asked about, you know, moving forward, do you do you perceive yourself as a left tackle? And he said, I think both tackle spots are valuable in the league nowadays. And they are. Again, he, he's smart enough to say the right things. Yes. But I've also thought he was very honest. He, you know, he didn't have to answer the way he did. He could have just told a company line of, listen, my feelings were hurt. And, you know, his feelings were hurt because they didn't communicate. And how, that's how hard is that? I don't disagree with you there, but I'm also like not going to lose a bunch of. I don't think the Bengals franchise has to like suck up to Jonah Williams. You know what I mean? He like did, Jonah Williams is the guy that. who's right, he did, but he, he didn't ask that. He said, "Listen, I get it. I'm an employee. I I, I I think he understands that part of it, but I still think they owe the dude a phone call." Fair enough. I, I again, I don't disagree. It was a mistake on the Bengals' part, probably. I think both sides to move on. And it looks like he has. I'm not, I'm yes, not, yes, everything he said yes. yesterday was the right thing no, to and say. I told, I, and I told, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast. I, that, I, that's exactly what I expected him to do was to be here for mandatory, suck it up, play right tackle and say, I'm going to be the best right tackle I can be for this football team. I, I didn't doubt any of that at any point of this whole not showing up process. Yeah. The, the one thing he should, well, everyone should have just made clear during the not showing up process is that he just had a baby. If you just yes. said like he had yeah. a baby in March, that makes yeah. so much more sense about why he's not showing up than well in the knee. I mean, listen, I, that was yeah, the but, other part but the too. knee thing he can do here. The baby yeah. thing is like everyone understands. It's like that's a weird time in your life where you're probably not you're probably going to want to try to stay home and around yes. your wife as much as possible, especially when you have a job that takes you away for six or seven months. Right, right. So I like that. If they would have just said that right away, I think everyone that was wondering about well, what's going on with Jonah Williams the last couple of weeks would have been like, oh, okay, like no big deal. Then he's fine. Yeah, no, agreed. And like I said, I I never doubted him coming back and, and towing the professional line and trying to be the best player. He, that, he, that's just, that's just that that's that dude. He, he that that's him. I mean, the fact again that he switched his kneecap from the back of his leg to front of his leg and continued playing in Baltimore and then continued playing the rest of the year like that tells you all you need to know. If you doubt his courage, intensity, uh, desire, professionalism, that's him to a T. You can listen, you can hate him as a player. Don't get me wrong. You can think he sucks. Not, I'm not talking about, I'm just talking about the collective view. That's fine, but don't doubt any of the rest of that stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, all that stuff is great, but then when you start sitting out and doing this me stuff, it's, it, uh, you know, I mean, kind of, you kind of got to take that with it too. You can't, you can't be the guy that, oh, I'm a Mr. Professional. I'm all about the team and then sit out stuff. It's like, well, now you're not doing that. You're kind of being a baby. I get it, but you're kind of being a baby. Uh, let me let me ask you, though, about something more important, because sure. we've gone round and round about this. Yes. He said he's going to be full go weeks before training camp. Right. I mean, if first of all, if this is how you're trying to sell yourself coming back from an injury, he did a great job because he kept talking about, oh, it's, it's going to be better than 100 percent. Talk about his knee. He's been trained on. He feels great. Uh, do you believe that? I mean, do you think he is going yeah. to be more than yeah. healthy before training camp? Yeah, and I probably should have put it in the story I wrote about it yesterday. Um, he did work. Uh, we we watched him. He worked out in the end zone with Chidobia Wujie and the and the uh, the rehab staff. And honestly, was moving great. I mean, you you would have not known the guy was was dealing with an injury. So um, I do believe that. Uh, you know, uh, he he won't do anything this week other than rehab. But I do believe that technically he'll be cleared in the next week or two, and that's part of it too. He I mean he does have to get medically cleared to participate. Uh, I believe that would be the case, and I completely believe he'll be one thousand percent by training camp. And the same thing for for Cheeto. I mean, Cheeto looked great as well, running in the end zone, doing cuts. They were doing some cone drills and stuff. And, you know, we kind of had an eye more on them because really watching position drills is not exactly the most fun thing in the world. Right. Um, and that's kind of what they did primarily. Um, so our eyes were kind of on those two guys. And I, I probably should have put in the piece I wrote that he did look really good. So, yes, I absolutely believe that. I don't think that's that's BS speak. I mean, that's it. That's legitimately exciting when you think about they've Upgraded the left tackle position, and now the right tackle position has is a, a competition. Of, yeah, a competition between two guys who were looked at to be 
important starters last year. And now it's like two, one of them is going to start at that position. If he doesn't work out, then you try the next one. I mean, all right, so, Jonah Williams, Lyle Collins, I feel pretty good about right tackle. Yeah. So, okay. So that's a great, and I don't know if you had this on your list, but that, that gives me a jumping off point to another thing. And I was sitting with some writers, obviously who were watching the, the practice. And one of them said to me, you know, the more I think about this, I'm kind of all in on leaving both on the roster. And I said, no way. There's just no way that, that you're leaving both on the roster. Now, they don't have to make a decision on either one of these guys literally until cut down day. Right. So you've got all through training camp to go through this process. You know, perhaps one of them gets hurt. Perhaps somebody else on another team gets hurt and you trade one of the two of them. But I said, OK, so so your scenario is that the season starts. Nobody's suffered an injury elsewhere to make a trade happen. Um, you're keeping both. And the point was, listen, offensive line depth has cost this team in the last two postseasons. And mm-hmm. I said, yeah, it has. But I just don't believe you're going to tie up twenty one million dollars in one position, not named quarterback. I just I, I'm sorry. I don't see that. What do you what do you think about that? It was an interesting point that was made and we debated it. And it's somebody I completely respect. So I respect their opinion. I disagree with it. I, I just don't see that taking place. And again, there's no decision that has to be made now. There's no decision that has to be made in July. Again, you could ride this out and probably there will be a catastrophic injury to, on another team. Um, or maybe even unfortunately to one of those two guys that makes your decision easier. But if it's not, if it's a perfect world where everybody sails through healthy, these guys sail through healthy, they show they both can play. Are you keeping both? I guess my question is, where else is that money going? Uh, to one named Jay, Jay period Burrow. You're uh, right. That's, and that's Higgins. L. I'm, I'm not saying that in a smart ass way. I'm saying no, like, what do you need that yeah. specific money for? Is it already earmarked for something or is it well, like, Hey, we might be, going out to try to get someone else before the season starts that gets cut from another team or something. Like, cause like if you're just going to add another body and they might be a little bit cheaper than, you know, Jonah Williams or Lyle Collins, obviously, but if you're going to spend more money anyways on backup linemen and then something else, I would rather have the two guys that have been in your system and are at a position that, like you just mentioned, has cost you dearly each of the last two seasons when it comes playoff time. Yeah. And a lot of it in the person made a point too of, listen, I'm saying this fully knowing that, that, you know, the Joe Burrow contract ripple effects are probably going to ripple to there and ripple to Joe Mixon as well, but it hasn't happened yet and you haven't done it yet. And it's, I mean, a lot still hinges on, on the Jay Burrow contract extension of what you're going to do with the rest of your money. And so it's probably going to become a a real point of contention. But as we sit here today, it it was an interesting debate to have of, I in a perfect world, you know, is Lyle Collins a better backup than Jackson Carmen? Sure. I can, pro- I can, I can say that um, again, you have to factor cost into it, but just in, in sheer football ability, I can go to that. And if this is the team that you're going to roll out there and go, listen, we've accounted for the Joe Mixon money. We've accounted for these guys money. We're not over the cap at the moment. Um, we're going to roll forward with this. I can see it. I just think there's going to be a large ripple effect. And and again, I, I do think that at some point in camp, another team is going to suffer a catastrophic injury at that position. Uh, that's going to cost them a, a, a player. And it may be a playoff caliber team that says, damn it, we need a playoff caliber tackle. Jonah Williams, whether you like him or not, was a starting left tackle in the Super Bowl and a, and a starting left tackle on a, on a he didn't play in the AFC championship game due to injury, but starting left tackle on a team that got to the AFC championship game, whether you like him or not, that still holds some water. And especially for other teams that again, he's not pro bowl caliber, but he's a starting caliber left tackle, right tackle in this league. Let me ask you this. And so is Lyle Collins for that matter. If you were to cut Joe Mixon and save some of that money, do you think that makes it easier to keep both 
right tackles. Yeah, I don't. I, I think I'd rather cut one of the right tackles to keep. That's what, well, that's what I was, was just going to ask. Yeah. Well, which would you rather yeah. have? Because yeah, honestly, I think, I think I might want the offensive lineman. I know your point, and I'm I, I'm I, I'm willing to debate it, but I'm I'm at the stage of I at that point I would keep Joe Mixon. I'm under the opinion that Joe Mixon has regressed enough to the point where he is the every running back. Like he's a good one, but I think you, if you have the yes. right offense, you can get his production out of almost any decent running. Back. I, I would, I would agree with that. And that's where, again, I, I think everybody's doing the right things at the moment. It's so funny because we're about to, after Thursday hit quote unquote, the dead period um, where trust me, I'm taking about two and a half weeks of vacation time in between then and in training camp. So it's, it is, but there's a lot of fascinating things that could take place between the end of Thursday and the start of training camp. Um, you know, from the contract extensions we've talked about to then the ripple effect of that of, you know, does that come down to the renegotiation and, and the restructuring of Joe Mixon's contract or even the outright cutting of Joe Mixon to then what are we doing with with one of these tackles in all likelihood, Lyle Collins, because, um, you know, Jonah's contract until somebody suffers an injury um, is is probably hard to move because nobody wants to take on the 12.6 mil. So um, there's a there's a lot between the end of Thursday and training camp that usually doesn't take place. All right, let's move on to college basketball because we spent a lot of time. There's a few more things we can get into there, but they're not yes. urgent and they'll no. be continuing. So we've talked a lot about the hey, Trust me, you know, over these next few weeks, we're going to have some conversations about this because some things are going to happen. Yeah, yeah, there's there's more to come. So we'll we'll dive back into some of the roster talk with the Bengals because there are a couple other storylines to, to get to as we continue this summer. But let's move on to college basketball, Skinny. Kentucky, a little bit of news here. Uh, one, I, I think, the big news is that John Calipari is expected to introduce a new NIL initiative called the La Familia Club, which seems a little redundant to me because I think La Familia is the family. It uh, is the family. The the family club, according to reports. Kentucky apparently doesn't want it to be called a collective. They're referring to it as a fundraising model that brings together Kentucky's top boosters and some of Worldwide Cal's West family. is back. Worldwide West is back. But at the end of the day, the whole goal is the same as a collective, which is yes. to fundraise money to pay players legally through NIL appearances. Uh, what do you make of Kentucky's La Familia Club? And do you see this as basically Cal acquiescing to all the the demands from the fan base and the struggles they've had this year in the transfer portal? Yeah, I mean, if that's the case, what what took you so long, right? Yeah, I mean, he's got this weird or, or this on collectives. The, I don't understand a, that. Is this more of him just the BS of rebranding everything? Of yes. The tweak and the twinge and the twinge and the tweak and the this and the that. I, he's a pain in the ass. <laughs> But that is what this is. I mean, it's it's totally just he's got some hang up on the word collective and and how so he's like, no, we're doing something different. And it's the exact same thing. Yes. I guess I guess the idea of this is he wants this to be all people he knows involved in the this fundraising model he's using. Well, and not like we're taking well, money from this random booster and this random company and they're going to tell us well, what we should be doing. I guess Rick, along those lines and your ears closer to it than mine, but it's just some things I've read and listened to and heard. It sounds like he's burned bridges with a lot of boosters already. It does seem like that might be the case, and may, and maybe that's what we're talking about here. Is he doesn't want to end up beholden to these boosters who have given him a lot of money, and think they're now a GM of Kentucky basketball, right? And right. tell him what to do with his roster. So that's the vibe I'm getting from it. But yes. it also, like you said, very much seems like Cal being a pain in the ass and wanting to rebrand everything and do what he does. But the other bit of news that is they got a player. They got a player. Well, they did. They added a commitment from Jordan Burks, a six, nine wing. He's going to be another freshman. He was played in the overtime elite program this past season, which 
if you followed that all, you kind of understand it wasn't high school, but it wasn't the G League or pro. It's kind of something in between there. Um, also, Antonio Reeves is now potentially coming back. Yes. It seems like that's what all the buzz is about the last yep. two days. Do you feel like the roster situation is being resolved for the most part? Do you feel better about where Kentucky is now? Yeah, better. Yes. I don't know about resolved, but yes, better. Uh, Is it weird how much Antonio Reeves impacts how I feel about this Kentucky team? I don't think he's that great, but I I feel like they have to have him. But 15 points a game from a veteran player is a pretty nice ad at this point in in, in the process, right? Veteran, shooter, and a scorer. I mean, like, yeah, all all of those things are like exactly what they have to have, I I think. Dude had a 37 point game against an SEC team last year. It wasn't against some some bye game. He had a 37 point game and when it mattered. Now listen, I know the most recent memory of Antonio Reeves is him throwing <laughs> up ducks in the NCAA tournament game. Right. I'll give you a pat. Listen, shooters sometimes miss. I mean, it's what shooters do. Steph Curry, I guarantee, you, if I went back and combed some somewhere in his NBA career, was two for thirteen from three one night. It doesn't happen often, but I'm sure there was a night of two for thirteen for Steph Curry. Um, so um Yes, Antonio Reeves makes this team clearly better. Does it make them elite? Does it make them Final Four? No, probably not, but it certainly makes them better. I mean, hell, at this point in the game, my old ass makes them better because I'd be the 10th guy at the moment or the ninth guy at the moment. It's just weird to me how, like, I don't, I didn't think I had this high opinion of Antonio Reeves and what a difference maker he'd be. But yeah, when I look at that roster with just like no experience and all these young guys, and again, the same thing we always say about Cal's teams, which is, are they going to have enough shooting? Now I look at the possibility of Antonio Reeves coming back and I'm like, damn, that changes everything. Like that, does. that's a big deal. It's like, I don't, maybe that's oversimplifying it and putting too much weight on Antonio Reeves decision. But to me, I, I feel like that's hugely important. And I definitely, if he does announce in the next couple of days that he's coming back to Kentucky, it definitely makes me feel a lot better about the roster situation than I felt last week. Yeah. And I said this a couple of weeks ago when the, the night of the, 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 uh, the NBA announcements, I think we did the podcast the day after um, where Shibway stayed in and, and, and yep. Livingston stayed in and Reeves pulled out, but had not announced at that point he was coming back to Kentucky and he still is not, but it, yeah, it seems like it's trending in that direction. I truly believed at that point that Antonio Reeves realized he had some leverage in discussions about NIO with the Kentucky people. And I think that's what it's come down to of, he shopped himself around. He got a couple of probably offers from other places. Kentucky came back and said, hang on a second. We're going to, we're going to come up with something here. And hence, hence all of a sudden we've got La Familia club, La Familia club and Antonio Reeves may come back. I don't think it's, it's, it's a, it's a coincidence there. I think it was literally, they upped the ante and he said, sure, I'm in. And that seems like it's gotta be related. And uh, just this Kentucky roster situation has been a, a weird off season for them in yes. general. And they play a game in like three weeks in Canada. I know it's just it, like I, I really I, I, I'm sure people are kind of like, why Why do you guys keep talking about Kentucky? And it's like I, this is just such a strange situation to be in. Yes, I, I like I really think it is a lot of things coming together at once for UK and the fan base and Cal and his career and all of that stuff. And it just adds up to a really fascinating season for this Kentucky basketball team. And uh, I'm I am interested to see what happens in the next two or three days with Antonio Reeves, because I will say the news has been everywhere on him. Like yes. I heard Michigan people thought they were getting him Illinois. as of 24 hours ago, Illinois people for a couple of weeks thought he was coming there. He, and went back like, to Illinois, he went back to Illinois state to take classes, to, to, to try to do the grad transfer thing. Right. And then you wonder, was that what people were hearing and got confused? It's like, yeah, he's coming back to Illinois to take grad classes at Illinois state this summer to graduate. And then he's going somewhere else. So like, you never know. And I'll also tell you, like I've heard some other local teams here in this region might get involved if Antonio Reeves doesn't stay at Kentucky. So 
there's a lot of information out there about Antonio Reese, but most of the buzz the last 48 hours as we're leading up to Wednesday morning recording this were about him coming back to Kentucky now. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, Rick, uh, Rick, Rick, what became of the St. John's transfer? I, I the, He was visiting Xavier or talking to Xavier in Kentucky. Yeah, so David Jones ended yes. up at Memphis. He did That's not. Okay. Yeah, okay. he did not choose Kentucky or Xavier. Uh, Xavier had him on an official visit. Kentucky yep. did not. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, I know both teams really wanted him, but uh, he ended up at Memphis. So that'll uh, that was a big get for Memphis. We'll be interested to see how that works out for him because he was a guy who's played now at DePaul. And then he played at St. John's before Rick Pitino got there, mind you. And now he's headed to Memphis. All three of those coaches have been, I think Penny's probably the best of the three. I don't know. Penny or Mike Anderson is probably a tough call there. But like none of those three are known for being great coaches or making their players better. And allegedly, that was the big reason he wanted to leave St. John's is to put himself in a position to get better and make the NBA and play on a winning team. We'll see how that plays out for him at Memphis. I'm going to guess the FedEx collective may have helped in that decision. I'm going to guess so too. I mean, it's, it's great to say you're about winning and you're about getting better at stuff, but I don't blame these guys for being about six figures. Correct. Uh, let's talk about Cincinnati real quick too, skinny, because two weeks ago, you know, we talked about Xavier landing its first recruit in the 2024 class. Well, last week was Cincinnati's turn. The Bearcats locked down Cincinnati native Tyler McKinley, who's ranked 63rd overall in the 2024 recruiting class by 24-7 Sports. McKinley is a 6'9", 225-pound big man who actually went to Walnut Hills to start his high school career. Then he transferred to Link Academy in Missouri this past season for his junior year. Uh, Skinny, what do you think of Wes Miller's first edition in the 2024 class? I like him. Um, I, I did a, I broadcast a couple, maybe even three of his games um, for a streaming service his sophomore year when he was at Walnut Hills. Um, he kind of played the back end of their press. They were kind of a they were a very athletic team and they were very deep. And so they rotated a bunch of guys in and pressed and ran. The one thing I did love is the way he got up and down the floor, um, his athleticism. His ability around the basket, he could face up a little bit. I didn't really see him face up and shoot it a ton, but you can see he could face up and, and do some things. I, I like him. I like him a lot. I, I don't know if he's elite, mind you, um, but I do think he can play, and I certainly think he's a big 12 caliber player, which is what you need. Yeah, I think the the big key you hit on there is – And I've crapped on UC, so UC fans, I know you're probably pissed at me for crapping on your current roster. I'm not crapping on this guy. I, I think he's legit. Yeah, I think the best thing about him is he's a, he feels like a, a high floor prospect yes, yes his his worst is going to be pretty good because yep. like you said he is he is a big body i mean six six eight six nine ish isn't huge for a center in today's game and i do think he is a center um, yeah oscar sheba is six nine right but but that's that's the thing i mean the way the game's going he is a big body he's not your, like, your thin wispy stretch the floor type guy um and i don't think he's much of a shooter but he is a guy you can play through out on the floor because he yes. really passes no and he's got you- a high iq and understands the game yeah, I, I love that. I, the first time I saw him as a sophomore, I'd heard about him. I hadn't seen him. Um, and again, he's playing against six, three, six, four post guys, all those things. So you always got to take that into consideration. But just yeah. watching him play, I'm like, damn, he's impressive. He's a re-. And at the time, he was just a sophomore. And so the upside from that point, I didn't see him obviously last year because, as you mentioned, he went out of town and, and played out of town. Um, but seeing him as a sophomore, I was really impressed and was looking forward to watching him play, you know, the next couple of years wherever that was going to be, whether it was Walnut or somewhere else in town. And, and unfortunately that wasn't the case last year, but again, as a sophomore, I really liked him and and I can only imagine where the upside is going to go. So yeah, I think it's a great get. I also think this is part of that Rayvon Griffin, Griffith effect that we Maybe. talked about last yeah. year. When they, when you land a big name in this area, that helps you going forward with those guys. And I think Tyler McKinley probably was already into UC before that and everything, but 
it definitely helps when a guy like Ravon, who he had a cool factor. Guys have known about Ravon since he was for in sixth time. and seventh grade. You're, yeah, for sure. Uh, local. I mean, he's not, you know, LeBron or any of those types of guys. But in this area, he kind of had a little bit of that buzz to him of like everyone locally knew who he was and what he was doing sure. as he as he kind of built his way up. And now he is at this point to where I think that was a big get for Wes Miller just from uh a local perspective and, and prism of UC being seen as a, a cool place to go if you're a local prospect. So, and I'll be honest with you, Rick. I, I'm more bullish on on McKinley than I am on on Ravon. I think Ravon is a nice glue piece, but to me, he's a sixth, seventh guy. I really, I hope I'm wrong. I hope he has a great career at UC. I, I'm just not as bullish on him as I am on on McKinley. And I say that knowing that you know what he was part of a state championship team at Taft. Um, he wasn't ball dominant at Taft. Um, he was a, a apparently I didn't see him after his sophomore year. I didn't see him his last, his junior year um, when they won state. Um, I, I, I assume he's a good defender because they were really good defensively. So he had to buy into that concept. So I'm going to guess he's coachable. I just, I, he never wowed me. And maybe that's a shame on me expecting more out of the buzz. And again, I only saw him as freshman and sophomore years. I did not see him as a junior and maybe the game evolved. I'm again, I think he's a legit player. I just don't, know if I buy that he's a difference maker and you can correct me if you think I'm wrong in your opinion of him Uh, that's just where I'm at with him well you know last year when he committed I wasn't real high on him either in terms of like I thought he was a little overranked I didn't think he was productive enough I thought most of his value was in his upside but to that point I do think he's gotten better since then I think in the last year he's continued to improve I'm I'm much higher on Rayvon now than I was a year ago at this time that being said I think he and Tyler McKinley are opposite in terms of how you view them Ravon to me is well, there was a chance he's just not good enough, but there's also a chance he's an NBA player. Like there's there's right. a real high upside right. for him, Fair. but also a lower floor. With Tyler, I think the concern is is he ever going to be a top half of the Big Twelve big man? Yeah, fair. You know, like I think he's good. I think he's a starter for sure at the high major level. I think a lot of teams would take him. I just wonder, like, is there a limited ceiling there in terms of his upside, and does he ever make it to where he's one of the better big man big men in the Big Twelve? I don't know. If you're in the AAC still, then you feel unbelievable. Oh, for about sure. that. Yeah, you're like, for sure. we've got a top two or three big man in the league every year, probably. But in the Big 12, it's a little bit different calculation you're doing there. And I, I just don't know. I mean, there's a chance he would be like if I was a UC fan, I'd be thrilled about getting Tyler McKinley. I'm not at all. Oh, no, no. I, I think it's how good I get. view them in terms of their upside going forward is a little bit different. Yeah, I think it's a good get. I'm with you. Yeah. All right, let's get to the NBA Finals here real quick. The Nuggets did it in five games, as you correctly uh, predicted. So uh, the ticket the ticket I've got says so. They polished off the heat in Denver on Monday night with a 94-89 win, and Nikola Jokic was named Finals MVP. A weird last game to that final series. They didn't even break 100 points on either side. You mentioned you cashed the 4-1, uh, f- to one, the five-game series, Ticket. Did you catch anything else in this series? No, I, I I ended up not doing anything with the MVP stuff because I just it just it felt like it was Jokic or bust. I really believe and, and he played like that. I mean, again, for if you have big dollars and you're willing to wager the, the odds of, of that, it was probably I'm going to guess the sports books probably took a not a bath on it, but they probably took a pretty good hit because there was really there was really nobody else to bet on. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean kind of. I I gave an outside shot to Jamal Murray, but I wasn't willing to risk that. You know, I think you threw out a couple of names, which were legit if you were looking for price. And you and I are always looking for price on this kind of stuff. There were legit guys to talk about, but there wasn't legit guys to bet on, in my opinion. Agreed. I mean, nothing that either one of us felt like putting money on, even right. though we discussed them. The one 
that we really and I end up not betting it because I just the week that it happened, I did not go over to the sports book at all. But one I actually did like, and we talked about extensively on the podcast before the playoffs started, was the Nuggets at eleven to one to win right. the whole thing before it right. started. Yeah, that was for a team that had been the best team in the West all year long to have that type of disrespect and be the fourth betting favorite in the Western conference. Yes. At 11 insane. to one, that was the value pick to take. And um, I, I don't have the ticket to show you guys. You can all call me out on that. I, I understand, but that was one that beforehand, no, I, we, I really would have liked to have bet. Well, had well, I gone out there. Yeah. Go back and listen to archive podcast. If you don't believe it. I mean, yeah. listen, we, we, listen, I'm the one to tell you my mistakes. I did not pick the Belmont winner. I didn't like the race in general, but so I'll tell you that I did not have that winner. So I'm, I'm more than happy to tell you not happy. I'm more than uh man enough to tell you when I don't pick right. But this, this just, I hate this. This seemed easy. And well, it was just disrespectful. It was like, we all overthought I, it. Yeah. I mean, it's like, obviously the Suns can win. Like we all understand yes. that the Suns can definitely win, but this is also the team that's been clearly the best team in the Western conference with all value year to be at that value. 11 yes, to one. The, any, if you get them the, over six value. to one, it's insane. Yeah, no, with that, that was the thing with value. It wasn't like you're making a stretch. You're like, I'm getting the best team in the West at that price. Yeah. Sure. And they don't have injuries at the moment. Sure. I mean, the, 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 there was a lot of value plays in the West that I navigated through that worked out perfectly as goofy. And again, it would have worked more perfectly if Sacramento had won this at the price I had them at. But I also didn't have as much on Sacramento as I did on Denver. So it worked out just fine for me. How would. Jokic do against the great big men of the past? It's a great like, what, question. What would it look like to see him in the O'Neal, Robinson, Olajuwon, Ming era? I, I think he would still school all of them um, on the offensive end. Now, again, Shaq was just stupid, big and strong in the post. And, and unfortunately, he got the living daylights beat out of him and he couldn't shoot free throws. And that sucked. I'm 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 old enough to have seen Wilt at the tail end of his career when you know even at the tail end of his career he was averaging 18 points, 19 rebounds, and he he too was an assist guy at that point. They played a lot through him at the high post. As goofy as it sounds, he was a great passer, and he he did have Jerry West and Gail Goodrich and some really good players around him on top of it to pass it to. He just wasn't the the score, but he was just a physically dominating presence. I've talked about Kareem was unstoppable, and he was. The skyhook was undefendable. Um, and then he became, obviously, in the Showtime era where they were running up and down the floor, an integral part of that. But I just don't know who guards who guards this guy. I mean, we thought he's the perfect trailer on a fast break. He can play through him in the post. He's a great passer out of the post. He's a great passer from the high post. He can take you off the bounce. I mean, I don't see Kareem coming out and guarding him at the top of the key and trying to keep him from going around and going to the rim on him. I, I don't see Wilt doing that. I don't see Bill. He reminds me a lot of Bill Walton, but Bill Bill obviously dealt with more injuries and, and that compromised him. But even in his best when the Trailblazers won a title, I think Jokic is better. Well, I just think he can not only be the guy who's setting the pick and then catching in the short roll and making something happen. He can be the ball handler in the yes. pick and roll. What is like Shaq or or... I mean, Hakeem had great feet, um, yes. but like Yao Ming, for instance, what is Shaq or Yao Ming going to do defensively out on the floor in those ball screens? That's my point. Handling it. Same with, uh, same with Kareem. Same with Will. I mean, I but, take anybody for anything. How do you guard him? Now, listen, but, trust me, he would have a tough time with Kareem yeah. and the skyhook because, like I said, it's undefendable. I'm sure Wilt in his, in his day and age could have just taken him down inside and just dunked on top of him like he did everybody. And his era was different. There weren't guys like Jokic. Um, you know, same with Shaq. Trust me, when Shaq posts you up, I don't care. You, he can post up anybody, turn and just throw it down on your face. Um, so that end of the floor would still be difficult. But his end of the floor, he's impossible. Yeah, I mean, 
the the thing it, to me, he feels like he's not as big and imposing as some of those guys. But then you look at it, he's like still 280 pounds. I mean, he's still a pretty big guy. Now, granted, that's 40 pounds less than Shaq, but it's uh, he's still a big dude. I don't think he would be able to bang as successfully in that era if he's going up against those guys. But like we just talked about, he probably wouldn't do that as much. He'd probably go out and yeah, take you out the and, floor. Yeah, and, and and drive and make plays around them. So that's a fascinating debate. I don't know if there's really a right answer just because the game has changed so much in the way people sure. play and the, the way they space you out and play and pick and roll and shoot the threes. It's it's really hard to compare. Uh, but I would just because I, I do think the big man position has changed more than anything from yes. the decades. And it's weird that like, you know, like people call Giannis a big man now and include him in those conversations about greatest big men of all time. It's like to me, that's a totally different position. Like Giannis is a, a hybrid wing type of guy. That's not he's a point. He's a point. If you want to go by the old day, days of, you know, now we got one, two, three, four, five in position numbers. We want to go back to the days of guards, yeah, forwards forward. and centers. He is a point. He's a he's a uh, seven foot point guard point center. I'll call him a point center. How about that? Truly. I mean, he truly is. So, like, I don't I don't know that those ones are more weird to me and, and not really the same thing. But like Jokic is clearly a center. I mean, he's a big man. He still bangs. He's still physical. He still wants to dominate you inside. But he can also do these other things. It's he's a more interesting comparison to those big men of the past. And when you start talking about the greats, it's like, where exactly does he fit in? And when you look at what he's already done in terms of his accomplishments and multiple MVPs and now a finals MVP and getting a ring, I mean, he's, he's definitely in the conversation of being Absolutely. one of the best bigs, bigs ever already. It's just interesting to compare them. Dude, he transformed a franchise that's never won. Yeah, I mean the bottom line, and and that speaks volumes to me. On that note, do you think this Nuggets group has a chance at making a, a multi-year run? I I do, but again, I also think that West that the West is so good that if you're off your game a little bit or you have any kind of injury to a key player, because listen, they are they are two guys and then a bunch of really good role guys around. If one of the big two between Jokic and Jamal Murray are hurt when the playoffs come around then it compromises that, in my opinion. So a healthy Nuggets, yes, but that's always a big ask. So I I just think it's it's really tenuous. I mean, Golden State was able to survive Clay Thompson because they had so much around them. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, for them especially, I just think they are so beholden to those two guys being on the floor at the same time. And again, that, that doesn't mean they always have good role players. Um, there's always seems to be a different third score a night for them. Um, but you take one of the big two out, I think you're compromised. And I think you saw that when Jamal Murray was hurt, whatever it was last year. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And the other thing that's kind of interesting about this is the NBA has changed their luxury tax penalties for these teams that want to put together the super rosters right. and go over the spend. So I do wonder if this is a shift back to it's going to be hard to put together those like three stars on the same team with and nobody's I think that's around great. them. I, I, I thought Me that's too. what was so, so much fun about these playoffs is – you know, I, I could go back to probably after the the and hell it was probably even the Showtime Lakers and, and Celtics for that matter was one of the two were going to win it, but then it was kind of the era of super teams. It was Everyone had a big three into Bulls into you, you you name it as you went forward, and it made it less fun in my opinion because it was almost like nobody's going to knock them off. I'm going to try to watch somebody knock them off, but nobody's going to knock them off. And then it became the era of the super teams of yeah, the Heat got their guys and the the Celtics had their guys. I, I think this is way more fun of it. It just leaves it more open to who's playing the best is, is going to win. It's not a matter of they just got more talent. They're going to win it. I mean, 
Golden State, it was so anticlimactic, it was ridiculous. Well, I think it's also less blowing up of rosters to try to achieve a big three with some crappy mercenaries around them, as opposed to, hey, we've actually got a little bit of a core here. Let's keep trying to build this thing and put one or two more guys in place, and and then maybe we'll be over the the hurdle. I I hope this is the end of the big three era. I do too. I'm with you. That I agree with. I just don't think it was as fun, especially from a roster building perspective. Too many teams trying to tank to get their one draft pick and then, oh, we'll go sign another super max guy yep. or two to go with it. And it's just like, eh, I don't know. I mean, I understand tanking still going to be a thing, but hopefully there'll be a little bit more roster building going on as opposed to roster tearing down and just hoping to get big free agents. Yep. Great. All right. Let's get into Zoom. Ask any anything. Let's do it. Pick one of the four to, to accomplish here, skinny. <laughs> Make a 20 plus foot putt to win a major. Hit a three to win the NBA Finals, score an overtime goal to win the Stanley Cup, or catch a twenty-yard touchdown to win the Super Bowl. Man, this is gonna this is gonna be such a weird answer because it's not even close to one of my favorite sports. The overtime goal in hockey, I, there is nothing better to me than Game Seven of a of a of any not even Stanley Cup Final, but of a of a playoff hockey game. The drama of every rush up and down the ice, and especially if you've got money on it. But I, I can only imagine if it's your fan base involved, you're a part of the fan base involved. The 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 rush of that honestly has always been edge of the seat for me. I'm going to go the Stanley Cup final goal. I know that sounds odd because I'm a huge golf fan. I coach basketball. I cover the NFL. But to me, I'm going with the overtime game seven overtime winning goal in the Stanley Cup final. It's just that, that the drama of that is just great to me to watch. Uh, I think a lot of people agree with you in terms of like the excitement of the moment. And I'm not saying fame should necessarily like factor into this, but I would just throw out, can you name like one hockey players had that overtime goal that we look at as like, Oh, remember him from that moment. No, fair point. But yet yet if I say David Tyree, who didn't even catch a touchdown, by the way, made that crazy catch, you know exactly who he is. No, fair point. You know, I just, that's where I'm just like, if you make one of those plays, like the 20 yard touchdown to win a Super Bowl. People will remember you for the rest of your life yeah. based off uh, that. That's a great point. That, that's a that's a great point. But just they asked me what what I would like to do. I, and and I it get would it. be the Stanley Cup final goal. I'm just throwing out there. I think I would still do the uh, the Super Bowl one. We'll might rank be them. The one. Okay, so let's do this. Let's rank okay, them. I'm rank going them. Stanley. I'm going Stanley Cup. I don't know. I'm such a golf nerd. I'm going I'm going the 20 foot putt. Really? Um then I'm going the three, and I'm going to go the Super Bowl touchdown catch. Because you know who's going to get the glory for the Super the t- Bowl touchdown the, the catch more than you catching it? Correct. Yeah, but but I mean, still, I mean, David Tyree, think about it. If you catch, do some type of crazy catch or something, I don't know. It's it's a lot of publicity for the moment, I think. Um, right. I think I rank right. that number one. I think I go hit a three to win the NBA final, number two. And then I'd go overtime goal and then make the 20-foot putt. Yeah, you're you're less of a golf nerd than me. But al- although, how much money? See, if I win a major, I probably win a whole lot more money in golf than I do for just winning. Yeah, the Stanley that, that Cup as part is of the team. probably a, a two and a half million dollar difference. Yeah. So actually, I, let me let me bump that putt <laughs> over the 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 hockey thing. Again. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> I want to know what Skinny thinks of Baby Gronk. I don't even know Baby Gronk. What is who's Baby Gronk? There's a 
disastrous like, social media thing going oh, on. I, this, say, like, I, I, I thought kid. Michael Ma- I thought Michael Mayer was supposed to be baby girl. Right. I wish that's what we were talking about here. Unfo- oh, no. I mean, honestly, I don't even want to give it more publicity I, because people keep crin- being like, this is so cringeworthy. This it's this dad who's making his fourth grade son into a social media star. Oh no. Via calling him like a football star, right? Oh, like they're saying no. he's gonna pass up high school and college to play straight in the NFL. All this what does he stuff. look like? Does he look like a lunkhead dad? Uh the, yeah the dad looks like an idiot. The son does kind of look like what you would expect Rob Gronkowski's little kid to look like or something. He's like a jacked um uh, you know, you, you, know sad, no, you know the sad part of this honestly Rick is and we've seen this guy. I've coached these kids. There are plenty of kids who mature in middle school and that's it. And they yeah. don't get any better and they were physically more mature and that's why they dominated it that day. We dude I I can remember facing pitchers in in not hole ball that I was scared to go to bat against and then when i faced them in high school it's like you ain't nothing anymore bro i mean it's just, it's just yeah. different i don't even think i think people are so numb to that happening that they're not even worried about the the fallout from him not achieving his athletic whatever Prowse. you know that they're, they're Prowse. Yeah, Prowse. But, but like i think it's way more about the fact that the social media thing that i mean they're they're just everywhere they've been on like every big pod but a new video just came out of them on a major podcast where the dad was like they'd ask a question the son would respond the dad would stop them and say no, actually say it like this. And they say, go ahead, ask him the question again. Good. And then so he'd respond with it. So it'd make those social media cuts, right? Those little videos that yeah. you see like in TikTok yeah. or Instagram or whatever. So anyway, that's enough. That I don't see. By the way, that I don't see. So yes, yes. Yeah, that, 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 that those see. It's a disaster. And honestly, like I, the one thing that I think is really stupid is all the people who are going, this is terrible. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, then quit posting stuff about it for clips. Correct. Do it. Do what I do. Ignore it all. Yeah. Uh, what does Skinny think about Paul McCartney saying that AI has been used to complete an old demo that will be released later this year as the Beatles' final song? I hate that idea. If that's true, I, I do. I hate everything about that. That's that's the thing with AI. Um, uh, with the whole voice, right? We're not going to be able to tell is it real or not real uh, any longer. And I think for artists, I think that really is going to be a big thing where people can can take their name, image, and likeness, if you will, and figure out a way to to try to make money off of it. I no, I don't want no, no, no. And what, and what you're talking about will definitely happen. And I think that's how most no people question. think of AI. I will no. say in this case, it's actually question. kind of cool what they're doing with this. I, I read a little bit of, or I heard a, a little bit about it. Um that they are basically I guess it's something that's in a video, maybe that documentary or something. They have video of them doing this song that they never got to finish. And what the AI is actually allowing them to do is separate this crappy is, is audio get the band from the back video. together with John. Yeah. Well, no, it's it, they're able to separate his voice of him singing ah, his okay. parts from all the background noise and gotcha. everything in the video to where now they're able to clean it up. They're able to get the real audio now from like Paul McCartney, and I would assume they're going to have Ringo play. Um, and then they'll be able to put in clean vocals from John. Yeah, so, so that idea is kind of on cool. I'm just so negative on it. Yeah, I guess it is because obviously you can't bring John back from the dead to do this. Um, I, I'm not a huge Beatles fan to begin with, and it sounds goofy for the generation I grew up in. I'm probably less bullish on the Beatles than, than most of my generation. In fact, probably the vast majority of my, my, my generation. Um, I'm just so anti-AI AI on everything. I'm, I'm even tired of hearing the word AI. And I even say that knowing that now in our, our, our computer system at, at local12.com, we can do AI-generated headlines if we desire. So oh, great. I, I just – I hate hearing AI. I hate the words. I, I hate the letters. I hate it. Unless we're talking Allen Iverson in practice. Correct. Good call. Yeah. He's now appearing in FanDuel commercial. Oh, no. I take my uh, credit card commercials. <laughs> I'd imagine he needs that. With Kevin Hart and Steph Curry. Uh, charcoal or gas for grilling, Skinny? 
gas. I charcoal was great, and there's a different. There's a certainly a flavor to it, but um, it's just too much of a pain in the ass to get the fluid out and get it started. I mean, dude, gas, click, click, start, click, click, boom, it starts. It gives you even heat, all those things. I, I do. I, I love what charcoal represented, but yeah, I'm. I'm listen. I, I'm one that would love to live back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s with a lot of this stuff. I really would. I'm just too damn old for my own self. But some things that that have come along, I'll, I'll take with a with a great joy, and a gas grill would be one of them. <laughs> Favorite non-athlete celebrity? How about for you? Well, uh, I, I'm the same way. I'm going convenience yeah. there and going gas. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'll be honest. I, mean, it's just, I was just saying. I hate to admit it. I'm not a the big automatic griller. starters. Are, I'm a big griller. The automatic starter is just, I mean, you go out, click, it's on, and you can set the temperature and it heats evenly. It's just, it's, I like convenience, man. Yeah. The infrared sensors that can sear your meat perfectly. Like, with, it's Correct. just like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not doing the charcoal thing. Definitely not. Again, again I, I only grill like overheated. once every couple months. That surprised me. I thought you'd be a big griller. That I know. That's, me. I hate to admit that because I feel like I, yeah, people would think that I'm like out back grilling all the time, but I'm not. Uh, okay. Favorite non athlete celebrity from Cincinnati, Skinny. Favorite athlete celebrity from Cincinnati. I mean, basically, your options I, are uh, Jessica Simpson's ex-husband Nick Lachey, and what? Yeah, George George Clooney. George I mean, technically Clooney. He's from Cincinnati, I mean, he's from Northern Kentucky. Jeff Rudy. I, I like me some George Clooney. I, I I gotta admit, I I know he's a mega superstar, and that's probably a cop out. But there's never been a movie of George Clooney's I've watched that I've never liked. I I I, I think he's just terrific. I really do. So my late. English and he teacher. comes off as a bit of an everyman. Hey, listen, it's I, my wife still loves this story. So you, you and I, we've talked about this. We grew up, grew up not at the same time, but in the same neighborhood in Crestview Hills. Yep. Um, and where the Crestview Hills Mall is now used to be just literally kind of a store. It was a smaller mall, and there was a McAlpin's, and that was kind of the corner store. My wife bought shoes from George Clooney back in high school. Well, so I've got a, a very similar story. My late English teacher, sophomore year English teacher at Holy Cross High School. She went to Thomas More, and at the time, she started dating George Clooney. She broke up with him and told him he was going nowhere because he like wasn't attending class. I think she said he had yes. like, dropped out of college and yes. everything at that point. It was just kind of being like a mooch off of her. And she's like, yeah, I dumped him and told him he was going nowhere. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, uh, he's, yeah. he's got kind of an everyman quality to him, and I think he's a terrific actor. I really do. There's literally I, – I can't tell you a movie I've watched that he's been in. I go, that sucked. That's true. I think he does a good job of actually picking good movies too, which yeah, I do too. That, yeah, yeah, that's the other part too. Yes, agreed. We some of those old fathers we talked about last weekend could maybe take a page out of his book in that regard. Jeez. I mean, the late Jerry Springer was God. I mean, the things that that man did in his career and lifetime are stupendous. From bouncing a check to a prostitute to somehow then winning the the to becoming mayor of Cincinnati to then becoming a a, a very popular news anchor. Um, and at the time, bringing that station to number one in the market, then, then once he left, it dropped off to number three in the market. Um, and then to the crazy show that he tried to start as a serious talk show and realized this ain't working. Let's make it a five ring circus. I mean, honestly, he'd certainly be up there if he was still alive. That's the one for me, actually. Jerry Springer is a good one. Uh, he's he's a nut. I'm going to go Jerry. Uh, all right, we'll wrap it up with this, Kenny. Thoughts on adding a day of the week. So that the working man can have one more weekend day, but corporate America doesn't have to give up a work day. So we have an eight-day week, or are we cut it to a four-day week and a three-day weekend? No, an eight-day week. You'd still have five days of work and a three-day weekend. I mean, it really doesn't matter how many days there are in a week or a year, right? We can just change it, the math? It, yeah, I don't – no, that's too complicated to change the math. If, if you're going to do it, go to the four-day week, three-day weekend. I agree with that. Um, 
Yeah, I do. I I know that's been talked about. I know they do it in other countries with the three. To, you know, honestly, I, I wish I could work a forty-hour week. To be quite frank, I'm not trying to make it be sad sack time. But listen, forty-hour week would be a luxury. To be quite frank, and I, I, I don't. I, I, this whole four day work week, you're not going to have enough workers and, and companies aren't going to be able to afford that. So honestly, folks, we've sucked it up and done five day work weeks for a long time. Just suck it up and do a five day work week and a two day weekend. If you're honestly, if you're doing that, feel fortunate to do that, to be quite frank. Well, there just, there just needs to be less waste, I think, while you're at work. Like a lot of these jobs, especially these corporate jobs, there's it's like, oh, we're going to do this meeting. And there's like, oh, there's no, around, oh, around there is for no doubt day. about that. Like, yes. Th- most jobs, you could get everything that you actually need to do in terms of your productivity done in three to four hours a day, probably. No question. So I wish it was just more, even if it was like, oh, I work six days a week, but you only work four hours a day or something or five hours a day. Like to me, that would make more sense than, I, you know having to trim days off. I just think spending the entire day at work with nothing going on is probably the biggest way. Oh yeah. The whole meeting stuff and initiatives and this non, you know, you work for this company and, you know, we get these training modules you'll have to do. What a waste of freaking time to cover your ass. I don't need to cover your ass. Just, you know, honestly do right by us. Or just the amount of time where like, Sometimes there's not a lot going on for your role. You know, it's like you're just kind of sitting around passing the day by and getting through your work day. It's like, yeah, I wish that's that's where the working from home stuff worked out great for everyone, because during those moments, they're like, all right, I'm going to pay my bills or I'm going to watch something on Netflix or I'm going to do my laundry. And it's like, yes, you're productive during those down moments throughout your day where like, you know, employers may be like, well, they're not working hard enough. Then it's like, well, some jobs just don't require you to be working Every second that you're on the clock. No, and then, no, and then you're, you're then you, and then you feel a little guilty enough that when you are on the clock or something is happening, I'm going to bust my ass to get it done. Yeah, you're actually working, which is a novel thought. No, I'm with you on that. I think I think it's a great call. Yeah, I, I don't I don't need an eight day week. I, that that sounds goofy to me. I, I, I no, no. <laughs> I agree. That math is going to get too complicated for a lot yeah. of people. Yeah, I, think, I mean, a lot the of changing of records cal- and yeah, the calendar's been the calendar for a long time for a reason. Let's just stick with the current calendar. Yeah, we're too we're too much uh, men of convenience to be yes, doing all that. That's correct. Yes, indeed. All right, Rick, appreciate it. We will be back next week with another podcast. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition, presented by Blake, the attorney Mason.